You can leave them on if you want to. No, I just wanted to make sure it sounded good. I can take them in if I want to. <laughs> Lucky for you, I don't want to. Are we starting? Welcome to Extra Sauce on the Side. It's me, Samantha Denman, which you probably didn't know by now if you didn't know who made this podcast because I'd never introduced myself. Uh, I'm here with my husband, Caleb Denman, of the same last name. Yes, hello. Uh, We're going to talk about me this episode, and so I wanted to have Caleb here because I'm really bad at talking to myself. So... As evidenced by the first episode that yeah. is a whole six minutes long. Yeah, and that's not even showing you how many times I had to pause and breathe <laughs> to myself to start over because Caleb's an editing whiz. So um, I kind of put it out there on Instagram because I think it's only fair that if I'm asking you guys your deep, dark secrets that I share mine. So um, I just want to preface this episode by saying I'm sharing my story not to pretend I'm a victim of any sort. And I'm also going to purposefully leave out details that may look, may make others look poorly or um, maybe other people's stories to share. So if the story seems a little bit incomplete, it's probably because I'm trying to protect people that I care about or once cared about. Um, the purpose of this is not to dog on anyone except myself, really. And not even really dog on myself because my story is... Um, one that I would say is one of redemption. So um, if you didn't know by now, I'm religious. There will also be quite a few religious themes running their way through the story. So um, if that turns you off, you can translate good vibes into your head instead of prayers and all of the things that we say in popular culture to just streamline those things. But just know that I view the world through that lens. That doesn't mean I care if you do or not. That's not my job to choose what you believe so um yeah I guess the goal really isn't to have you ask the questions Caleb but just to to prompt me if I get distracted because it's hard to continue to talk to myself the whole time fair yeah I still want to ask the questions though we don't have any questions for you to ask dang it right okay so uh I guess we'll just start at the root of things um I my whole life growing up have been a performer in every single way Um, from telling stories as a kid and exaggerating them to seeing in public to making a fool of myself. That's just kind of who I am. Um, And that started at a very young age. And I remember exaggerating stories so much that I would get in trouble with my parents um, because I was trying to entertain the adults and I didn't really have very many fun life experiences to talk about. So I was a funny kid, I would say. Um, (laughs) That's what they tell me, at least. I don't remember much of it. But that performance and the need for attention is kind of a um, long-living, long-running stream of consistency through my life. And I think that's a good base place to start because my whole life I've craved attention. And that's who I am and that's who I always have been. And it contributes to my need for success and my drive to continue to be better. But um, that means that I was a liar for a lot of my life (laughs) because I wanted everyone to think that I was great all the time. And 
the best way to do that is to put on a show and put on a face. And um, my cats are hissing at each other, so that's fun. It's <laughs> fine. They walked away from each other. Um, so one of the biggest things that I think has affected the way I interact with other people is the fact that I was never a small human being. And I remember when I was young going to the doctor and him literally telling my parents that I was a giant because I was so tall and so fat on the percentile spectrum. Like I literally was in the hundredth percentile in both. And so I grew really quickly and that does not lend to good experiences when you are a young female. Um, so I got bullied a lot in elementary school and, um, I had friends. I grew up in the same school district, but I was never really like close or made any real connections with anyone. Um, I have friends that I grew up with that were in my wedding that I'm still friends with now, but I didn't really share a lot of myself with people because I had faced so much rejection as a kid. So that turned into middle school where I always had one or two really close friends that I spent the whole summer with. But really, I, I say now, I didn't have friends. I really like... I hung out with the outsiders, but I really didn't fit in with them. Um, I I remember praying with my mom consistently that I would find friends. And eventually in high school, I started hanging out with the people that I'd known since birth. Um, and they were good people, and it was great, and we spent a lot of time together. And a lot of my friends, I went to church with them. Um, and growing up, I would kind of like jump between youth groups because I never wanted to be super close with anyone. So I felt like if I had a lot of balls up in the air, then maybe I'd have a backup plan if someone decided they didn't want to be my friend anymore. Um, and I don't know if this is a girl thing or a me thing, but in like elementary school and middle school, there was this thing where like people were your friend, but they were more your bully when they were your friend than they were when they weren't your friend. I don't know if that makes sense. Explain that. So, I had I had friends who I would now call not my friends as an adult who sees things from a different perspective who would invite me to things just so they could make fun of me. Hmm. And that was really, really traumatic for me. And mm -hmm. I didn't even realize until about two years ago how traumatic that was to the point where I don't like using the words best friends because people would throw that in my face to remind me that I didn't have any real friends all the time. And... I know I wasn't the only one because there were other kids who got made fun of when we were hanging out outside of school, but it always felt like I was the one that everyone picked on. Even throughout high school, I felt that way. It was like I got invited to the party so that people could laugh at me and not in a good way. Mm. So I um, adjusted to that and became louder and made myself the laughing stock on purpose instead of letting someone else choose that. I also found attention where I could find attention and that was with older men. <laughs> and because I had always been bigger than everyone else my age, I also looked older. And um, so I ended up, I, I guess you could call it dating, but when you're 14, 15, 16, it doesn't really count as dating, but um dating boys in school who were always older than me, usually outside of school, the kind of stuff that people would go to jail for nowadays. 
Um, and probably should have gone to jail for then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's where I got fulfillment. That's where I felt special. And I had never felt special before. Another thing that contributed to not feeling super special is I grew up in a household full of not full of. I grew up in a household where my brothers were really intelligent and my dad really pushed us to be the best and even better than our best all the time. And that was in sports mostly. Sports and grades. I had the grades thing on lock. The sports thing, I wasn't naturally talented at sports. I built when I was thinner, I was built like I would be naturally talented at sports, but I didn't care. So I was in this constant struggle with my dad to like earn his approval by playing sports that I didn't actually enjoy when really I would have loved to have been in dance class or doing something creative or I just wasn't wired to be an athlete. Um, and we've since then resolved that with my dad and gone over a lot of things, but I felt really inadequate growing up. So men also filled that gap of my daddy issues, I would call them, um, so that's where a lot of my problems stem from is not wanting to disappoint others. So becoming a storyteller, also dating men who weren't good for me and it was completely inappropriate for me to be in relationships with. The combination of those two things turned me into a bomb ass liar. <laughs> and maybe now that I'm older, I would look back at my lies and say that they weren't that great. I should probably ask my mom about it. <laughs> to see how convincing they were. But I really figured out young how to compartmentalize my life. And that's dangerous. It's a dangerous skill to have because it it carried on a theme until probably about the time I was 25. So in that compartmentalizing, I dated a guy who I worked with at McDonald's for a while. That was harmless. My parents didn't think it was harmless, but it really was. There wasn't anything crazy going on there. And then as I was leaving that relationship, I met someone who was seven years older than me, um, who I now can tell you was a narcissist, but also had his own issues because he was dating someone seven years younger than him. And at that point I was 17. So it was very much inappropriate. Yeah. And it's not even like it was a like if you're somebody in their late twenties and then you're dating somebody who's in their forties or whatever, and there's that seven year gap, then it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah. But when it's like a teenager and somebody that, yeah, it's. And I thought I was really mature. So I was like, and for him, I probably was more mature than he was, honestly, but he had a lot more life experience and knew how to manipulate. And I fell for it. Hook, line and sinker. And he was also a liar and a performer. So he fed that part of me and made that me feel like that was normal because I was 17 and he was an adult. So I thought, you know, if he's coping with life in this way, then this must be the way that adults do it because it's the only exposure that I have. So we, um, we dated on and off until I was 20, 20, 21. Um, inappropriate the whole time now that I think about it but I was like all in and that's where I really perfected the lying because he did a lot of really terrible things to me as in like 
manipulating my faith and um, using me against my family to convince me that they weren't what I thought they were. And I learned even more how to lie because I was ashamed that I was with him because my family didn't want me to be. But I also wanted to be strong and independent, so I just figured it out. And um, I learned that the way to be a really good liar is to tell the truth 99% of the time and to share more than the average person does. Because if you share more, then people ask less questions. And so that was a strategy that carried me through half of our marriage of just if you overshare, then people don't dig deeper because they think you're telling them all the deep things up front. Mm -hmm. So this guy, this is slowly turning into like how to be a really good liar. (laughs) No, it's just the truth. (laughs) And if you've been a liar, you know, that's the truth that you, (laughs) the way to manipulate people is to build trust so that they don't, Yeah, they think you're, yeah. So they don't doubt you. Mm Mm-hmm. So we moved through that. I, he dumps me a thousand times. Um, the last time saying, I don't want to be a good enough man to be with you, which I think was probably the nicest thing he's ever said to me. He knew that he couldn't be good enough to stand up to my family and who I was going to be someday, which is great. Or he thought that was a good way to just get you to go away permanently. Yeah. Yeah. Also very possible. So I go to college. Um, In college, met new friends. Finally had someone I would call a best friend. Um, Started going out. Realized people that like enjoyed being around me. That was the first thing for me. Like I had never experienced people wanting me to come to things and really feeling like I was welcome. So it wasn't just high school all over again of people inviting you. Just so that you could be the butt of the joke. No, I was like, I felt like the life of the party. And I didn't like, I didn't really drink in college. And so, and I had a car. So I hung out with a lot of foreign exchange students and would drive them places. But it didn't feel like they were using me. It felt like it was, they were genuine friendships. Mm -hmm. And I joined a church that my friend introduced me to in Hudsonville and That was great for a period of time, Um, but there were some weird vibes from them, and I was still very much leading a double life. So I would go to parties on the weekends and kiss boys and then go to church and volunteer at every church activity that I could, and they were very separate parts of my lives. Those friends did not cross each other. They did not meet each other. There was no like introducing my party friends to the Lord. There was none of that. Like it wasn't, it was compartmentalized for a reason because I didn't want anyone at church to judge me. So I went to this church for a long time and got really involved really fast. And they were just, they were the same kind of manipulative narcissist that that boyfriend was. So I was really familiar with the dynamic. And so it felt like home. It felt real. And I felt like loved and accepted right away because that's how they get you. And this is a church where they would preach one thing on Sunday and then take advantage of the staff on a Monday. And 
it eventually the pastor ended up getting arrested and there's a lot of other deeper things that I don't want to really get into, but I felt really betrayed by that church um, and the church in general after that. So I really didn't seek out those kind of friendships after that because I had these other friends in this compartmentalized part of my life and they were fun and liked me and made me feel special. And the church had burned me so many times that I was like, eh, I don't really need it. So kept it moving. <laughs> um, so about this time I met uh, a couple and they were polyamorous. I didn't plan on sharing this, but I think it makes it makes the story make sense. And I've never actually shared this publicly, so this is a lot for me. Um, and polyamory is just a relationship with open communication where you can have more than one partner. And it's very common nowadays, and there's a community within Grand Rapids of people who live that lifestyle. And if it works for you, it works for you. Um, and I ended up dating the husband with the wife's knowledge and permission and it never went anywhere crazy um aka we never had sex and I built a really close relationship with them we decided it didn't work we were friends afterwards there was nothing like there weren't any loose ends we were very much just friends when it was over because it didn't work for me I wanted a monogamous relationship it didn't fit with any of my ideals it was just something that I was like drawn to for a while and it didn't work. And, um, we went outside of that. So that's important to know for later on in the story. <laughs> so after that's over for about a year or two, I, um, met my husband. That's me, by the way. <laughs> at a bonfire. Just decided to start 20 minutes into this episode. Yeah. <laughs> at a bonfire. And at this point, I still was very compartmentalized. So I just I just thought this is how you lived your life. You took the, the sinful bad things of yourself and had one side of your life, and you took the good parts of yourself and had another side of your life. Because I think the church teaches you that a lot, to just throw away all the bad stuff and don't tell anyone about it and remind everyone how good you are regularly. So at this point, I still had a pretty huge ego. So I was like, I'm doing this guy a favor by letting him marry me. Like, I'm the coolest thing ever. No comments about that? know. <laughs> uh, so we, we met, and he was taken at the time. So it was the first time I'd ever met a guy who I was interested in and actually been myself around them because – Caleb had a girlfriend when we first met. So I was like, okay, I'll just, there's, this option isn't on the table. Like he's not an option. I'm just going to be myself and we'll hang out and be friends and it's fine. So Caleb is the first guy that I met and liked that I acted like myself around because there was no point in pretending and sh showing him what I, he wanted to see because he was taken. Well, I had up feelings for him. So I told him that we couldn't hang out anymore. And him being the good person that he was, he broke up with his girlfriend. And um, 
we were engaged three months later. I, I feel like I would be remiss if I did not clarify that better. Go for it. That relationship, I, it's not like I just was just like, had this like rocking thing going on. I was just like, oh yeah, no, fuck that. And like, let's just start dating this other random girl. Like it was a relationship with somebody who lived six hours away. Yeah. And had only been a thing for about just over a year at that point, but was like, you only saw each other a couple times in that year. I saw a couple times and it just what, like I, I was getting to the point where it was like, okay, if, if they end up moving here or, whatever because i wasn't moving back to illinois but that's where they were from like i was like i yeah i don't know it just i started to think about being in that relationship long term with that person and their ticks and all that kind of stuff and it had been to some of my whole entire dating life up until i met you everybody i dated was just like kind of some version of me mm-hmm. uh and not like anything that complimented or was you know like complimentary to my personality or my shortcomings right it was yeah and let me just set the scene of where we were both at when we met I had just moved home for my last semester of college because I didn't want to pay a full year's rent to live in Allendale Caleb was if you say homeless I'm walking away in between houses (laughs) staying with friends from church and I believe also in between jobs at the moment. Uh, I mean, at that point I was, I still technically worked at American Eagle, but they had like no hours cause it yeah. was the summertime. And so I was working for our friend, like putting boat docks and stuff in the water. And that had been making me pretty good money, but was slowing down because it was the end of summer. And then, yeah, like shortly after we met, let's I got just a job say, in Holland. So let's just say that I knew he liked me because he went out to dinner with me and bought an appetizer for dinner and not because he wasn't hungry. He just wanted to go out to dinner or you'd buy like a side of fries at Stella's. Uh-huh. It was the cutest thing ever. Mm. Or you'd drive until you didn't have, have gas anymore because you wanted to hang out. Mm-hmm. That's that's where we were young. Okay, I was I was twenty one when we met, or twenty two. How old was I when I got married? Doesn't matter. Anyway, so we started dating, got engaged three months later, and hell ensued. Like I have never been such a terrible witch, and I think a lot of it was feeling like you have to have all your shit together before you get married. Um, and I also emotionally wasn't ready. I would admit that now. And a lot of people told us that when we were engaged, that we shouldn't get married right then. And I was very stubborn and said, if I'm not getting married now, we're not getting married at all. And <laughs> it was very much led and that, that dictated by up, me. That sums up about the first three years of our relationship. Uh, not quite. We're not going to do what I want to do right now that I don't want to do. Anymore. Yeah, it's kind of true. Okay. Uh, so um, we are engaged for about nine months. So we'd been together for about a year total before we got married. And in that time, I went to therapy because I had these ideas around sex that were very, very screwed up. And this requires some backtracking because I've 
never tell anything in order. Um, <laughs> so I lost my virginity by being date raped by a guy that I met on plentyoffish.com. I don't even know if I've ever even heard of that. I loved online dating. Is that like farmers only? But for like fish no, enthusiasts? No, it was, it was like the free dating site when dating sites were new. That and OkCupid and Tinder was like brand new. Wild. But didn't exist at the time that I met this guy. So because of my religious upbringing, I thought that I had to be stuck with this guy for the rest of my life because he's the only guy I had sex with. And so I kept going back. And so it just destroyed my vision of sex, like destroyed my vision of what relationships look like. And really for the following two or three years just made me feel completely numb when anything slightly sexual was happening. So it led to a lot of situations with men where I would, I wouldn't say they were subsequent rapes, but other people might classify them that way because I would turn off my brain whenever anything sexual would start happening and just let it happen. So I didn't know what a healthy relationship looked like in that regard or really in general. The only serious relationship I'd had was with someone who used me and manipulated me and made me feel like my only value was my sexuality, even though we never had sex. Like we did other things and those were the only things that were important in our relationship. So I broke down with Caleb one night at a friend's house and he said, you need to go to therapy. And I, do you remember what I said when, was it just that I was worried about getting married or what? Whose house was that at? It was at Lindsay's house. Oh, so like a Sunday night thing? Yeah. We were in the basement and I was just sobbing and I don't remember why. Yeah, I don't really remember why either. Either way, I started doing a therapy called EMDR where um, they go back and um, create a safe space and then have you relive traumas that have happened in your life. And I did that and we spent about two sessions on all of the sex I'd had in my life and about seven sessions on the abusive boyfriend I had who changed my picture of myself. And even then it wasn't fixed, but it made things less painful. And I think if you're looking into therapy, EMDR is really great for that. It allows you to process things without the emotion behind them. But it also means that I didn't really change my way of living. I, I was never given any like active ways to problem solve or address my own self-esteem issues, if that makes sense. So that happened. We ended up getting married at one hell of a party. It was great. The wedding was awesome. We move in together because we didn't live together before we were married. We didn't have sex before we were married. And from the jump, our sex life was hard. And I, it was both of us. Part of it was my body decided to have a trauma response to sex. 
and close right up. So it took a lot of tequila for me to relax enough for it to even happen. Like probably a week into us getting married, we actually had like decent sex for the first time. Um, and so right out of the gate, it kind of just ruined all of the expectations that we had around sex in our marriage because we both thought like we'd be like rabbits and my body wasn't down for that. And then Caleb was hurt because my body wasn't down for that. And it just wasn't what either one of us expected. And that was really hard for us because both of us are pretty physical people or were or less so now, but, um, and personally, because I'd been through so many relationships where sex was the only way that I felt like I brought value to that relationship, I felt like Caleb didn't love me because I couldn't be a sex kitten all the time. And that was really hard for me. And that led to like constant need for what you claimed were like, I don't know. I just see it now as like you were trying to fill that hole with like asking me to like validate you and validate our relationship like so many times a day that it was like almost overwhelming. So then that led to more rejection. And so from the jump, we were not in a healthy place in our marriage. And I think now that we're healthier, we would both be willing to admit that that is on both of us. But for a long time, all of that pressure fell on me because I was the one who talked more and I was the one who shared my feelings more. And so whenever we would go to therapy or I would go to therapy, it would be me, 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 me. And I was exhausted and tired and just overwhelmed (laughs) with feeling not good enough And feeling like the one thing I had to offer, I had been taken off the table and not feeling like I was worthy of anything. And so that all happens. We've been married. We had been married for about three months. We got married in September. We've been married for three months and I get a call from my friend Mariah. I'm going to cry. And the woman who had been in the polyamorous relationship with me and her husband had killed herself. So I'm in a poor place in my marriage. My friend just killed herself. Tried to take her two kids with her. Yeah, she had postpartum psychosis. So really hard. Yeah. And I was felt, I've never felt so alone in my life. And not even like this person was a part of my life every day. It was just the timing of it was awful. I, and there's no good time for your friend to die, but I was in a really vulnerable point in my life anyways. And Subsequently leaned on her husband for comfort and friendship because I didn't feel comfortable sharing my feelings with my own husband. And I also had no idea who either of these people were. And so you just told me that somebody you knew. Yeah. Because how embarrassing is that? It was presented as just like, oh, a friend of mine 
did this. There was no because I was embarrassed about our relationship. Well, right, but like, and it. But I'm just saying, like, I would have had no idea that you needed any kind of yeah and comfort or anything because there was no. You know what I mean? I didn't know that that person was so attached, or you know, you had been so attached to that person at one point. Yeah, and there's this thing like when you're in a polyamorous relationship, you're really in a relationship with everyone in that relationship. And I actually am now feeling like I should ask permission from the husband, but I think he'd be comfortable with me sharing it. So I'm just going to keep going and I'm not allowed to talk to him anymore for this exact reason. So I would say what I had would, would say I had an emotional affair at that point because I didn't trust my husband. I didn't trust my emotions. I didn't know how to handle anything, honestly. And I wanted to be done with everything. Everything, everyone, the life that I'd established, none of it was okay. And that led to such a deep depressive episode that I would say that I was in psychosis. Um, And that presented for me as a feeling of numbness to the point of feeling outside of my body and also for the first time in my life feeling like I could possibly be violent towards other people around me which is really hard for me to say because if you know me I'm not a violent person like that is I'm not even an angry person like that's not who I am um so I dealt with that by um, approaching my parents to ask if I could live with them because I was going to divorce my husband and leave him for this guy. (laughs) So stupid. God bless your mom and dad. (laughs) And my mom and dad said, okay, what you feel is what you feel, but And we'll support you, but you need to go to therapy and you need to get medication. You can't live here unless you go to therapy and you get medication. And they also said, it would be one thing if we felt like leaving this relationship would benefit you at all, but we don't feel that way. And of course, in my head, I'm like, sure, yeah, whatever. I'll do whatever you tell me to do just so I can get out of this situation. When you're that deeply depressed, that's that's your first go-to is to destroy everything around you because if you change your atmosphere, you'll feel better. And I wasn't ever really suicidal, but I was very destructive. And this is the perfect example of that, of just wanting to ruin everything around me. And I said some terrible things that I don't even remember to Caleb that I'm sure he could quote to this day, but we choose not to because – That doesn't help our marriage. Also, throughout this whole process, poor Caleb doesn't know what to do. So, of course, I'm rejecting him left and right. He checks out because, yes, he helped me through the therapy portion of it. But afterwards, it was like. It got worse after you went to therapy, it seemed like. The depression did? No, not not before. Like, I'm talking about you you started going to therapy like. Before we got married. Oh, yeah. And 
it seemed like things got worse than up until this point. Yeah, it was literally just a downward spiral. So let me tell you this. There is a theme of me cheating and Caleb withdrawing in our marriage. And those are our deepest, darkest, poorest coping mechanisms. And for me, it's getting the attention I crave when I feel like I'm at rock bottom. And for Caleb, it's leaving the situation so that he doesn't have to deal with it. And those two things combined have been really hard. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's also, I feel like, especially as the story progresses now, like, um, it's worth bringing up. Like, we don't need to tell my whole story on this thing, but like I, growing up, I grew up in a house where like emotions were just not a a thing that were dealt with. It was, you know, when I said something along the lines of, I'm just really, when I was like 18, I'm just really sad and everything's like sucks and I don't know why. And maybe I have depression. It was no, I mean, no, it's the winter time and like, you're okay. But like that kind of stuff. And like, just years and years and years of not only is it my, like my thing to withdraw, but also to just pack everything away. Yeah. Right. Because of that upbringing of like, there was no safe way to express emotions. Yeah. Because if you did, you were either made fun of or told that it was wrong or, you know, and. So Caleb's, Caleb's coping mechanism is fuck you. I'm out. My coping mechanism. Fuck you. I'll show you what you're missing. And so anyway, we go through this session of therapy. We finally get to the point where I've chosen Caleb. This is what I want. We're not necessarily like communicating well, but I am kind of seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. And then Caleb's dad passes away very suddenly. Um, And so it felt like just this teeter-totter of us taking turns being the one who's who gets all of the attention or the one whose life is more sad or and it started this momentum in our marriage where it's your turn to have emotions now it's my turn to have emotions instead of let's work through this together and so that toxic seesaw continued until title <laughs> continued until year three or year four of our marriage. And, you know, we deal with Caleb's dad passing away. There's a lot of family dynamics that go into that, that I'm not going to go into that I felt really betrayed by, but it wasn't about me. And so I shut up and stopped telling Caleb how I felt about things. And Caleb was trying to cope on his own because losing a parent is a huge trauma. So that takes months. And then, I really honestly don't remember how long we just coasted for. Like I, there was a long period of time where we just didn't connect with each other, but we also didn't fight and it was fine, but it wasn't like we were friends. It was just like we lived together and I don't know the exact timeline, but about, I can't even tell you what year it was, but 
during the summer, some year, that narcissistic ex of mine popped up in my DMs. And it happened to be a period of time where Caleb was out of the house a lot and I was resentful, but also not sharing my feelings with him. So that would be. You were still part time. Coming up on three years ago because that was when I was doing everything for. DCC at the Kindle room. That's that's when that was all going on. That's why I was out of the house so much because it was like I was either at work or I was there building that. Or you were at Adams. Or I was at Adams, yeah. So I was really resentful because Caleb was choosing to spend more time with his friends. And I was working 90 plus hours a week and felt really undervalued. And a lot of it was just not expressing those feelings to each other. And this guy spoke my language. He's pushing my buttons. He knows everything. One thing leads to another this this is really hard for me I had compartmentalized my life so much that I ended up actually sleeping with my ex-boyfriend and got caught which praise God I did um But that was the lowest point of my life of I had been pretending for so long that I thought that that was just how my life was going to be forever. And I don't even know how to like explain that to someone. First of all, because it's really embarrassing, but also because I have a really hard time believing anyone would understand getting to that point of having your brain so turned off that you don't care if you're going to hurt other people. And I was there. (laughs) And... I have nothing to blame but myself for my actions and I wanted to share this because I want, I know I'm not the only one, first of all. It's a lot more common in marriages than people are willing to admit. But I think it gives a lot of perspective as to why I'm willing to give people a chance because My family and my husband were rock fucking solid. (laughs) I and my friends, honestly, the night I got caught, I was having a panic attack because I knew that it was not going to end well. And Caleb sent my friends over here to sit with me until he got home from work. And they knew something was wrong and I lied the whole time they were here. And I, Caleb came home and asked me about it and asked more probing questions until I told the truth. And I have never cried so hard in my life. I've never wanted to be dead so hard in my life. 
And he called my mom and made her come and sit with me when he couldn't be home. And we made an action plan. And I guess we can leave it at that, but I just know that there are a lot of factors that contribute to someone making that decision. But mine was a lifetime of lying and pretending and trying to make everyone happy and feeling like I'm just hustling and hustling and never feeling appreciated and blaming that on other people and 100% blaming every single one of my actions on other people because everyone around me was the reason I was struggling so hard and everyone around me was the reason I felt underappreciated and I had the right to do whatever I wanted because my husband was treating me like shit and hanging out with his friends on the weekends instead of hanging out with me. And it was my decision to, instead of coping with those things in a healthy way, to lash out and hurt the people that I love. Um, so that's kind of a weird place to leave it, but I think it's a good transition to being at the lowest of lows and just kind of explaining how I got from there to here. Um, so we can take a break so you can really process what a shitty person I've been. <laughs> and then when we come back, I'll just kind of talk a little bit about how I turned it around, I guess. So on that depressing note, here's a word from our sponsors. Here's more of Sam telling you about her sponsors. Good God. <laughs> I'm so proud to say that this podcast is brought to you in partnership with Motu VJ Spirits. Motu VJ Spirits is a local premium black owned liquor and spirits company. And yes, they make stuff right here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They are quality products focused on bringing people together to experience the finer things in life every day. If you want to check it out, you can find their Motu Vigé Brut at Meyer Stores, over 300 of them in fact. And if you can't find it there, you can always head to your local liquor store. And while you're at it, you can pick up a bottle of their premium sipping vodka, which I highly recommend as a vodka drinker. It's called Avani. And if you can't get them there, you can always go online to motuvjspirits.com. That's M-O-T-U-V-I-G-E-T spirits.com. Thank you to Motu VJ Spirits for sponsoring our show. Okay. We're back. Woo to do. So just a reminder that I don't tell you all this depressing stuff to make you feel like I'm a victim of any kind. I'm very, very very adamant about the fact that my choices are my own. Part of the reason I share them is because I feel like sharing the hard parts of your life and the poor decisions that you've made gives them a new opportunity to educate others and just to show the world that none of us are perfect. Um, not that I ever have claimed to be. Will you check the levels on this real quick? Because I moved the microphone a little bit. It's fine. So 
we left off. I get discovered in all my lies. And the first plan of our plan of action was Caleb sat me down and said, I need you to tell me everything you've ever lied to me about. Oh, what? (laughs) And as someone who literally built my life and reputation on lies, I, I, for the first time, had nothing to hide. And that was a really scary feeling for me because when you don't have anything to hide, if someone chooses to love you, they choose to love you. If they choose not to love you, it's because they really don't love you. And in this circumstance, if Caleb chose not to love me, he would have been completely, completely valid because I had betrayed him. Um, but I had never let myself be that vulnerable, ever. I always had a backup plan. I always had another storyline going in my life. And for the first time ever, I had shared my lies with someone and I didn't really have a choice. And I was also forced to, not forced, but I guess kind of forced. Part of the agreement was that I needed to tell the people closest to me all the ways I'd lied to them as well. And the only way I can explain this entire process of recovery for me is divine intervention. Because let me tell you, my husband is not a calm person when we're one-on-one. Like, he is not a level-headed, don't-get-angry kind of guy. You're talking about when we're in a disagreement. Yes. You just said, like, when we're alone. Okay. Well... (laughs) Sometimes when we're alone too, but what does that mean? we were a slamming doors, shouting cuss words kind of couple. And I have never seen Caleb be more calm ever. And I mean, you can disagree with me if you want, but I think part of the reason is cheating doesn't happen in a vacuum. Not that I blame Caleb at all for the decisions that I made, but he knew we weren't in a good place in our marriage. And it was a real wake-up call for both of us of just, is this what we want or is it not what we want? And so somehow Caleb came up with these plan of action items and had my mom come over and I had to tell my whole family what I'd done and I had to tell my closest friends what I'd done And all of them still chose to love me. And I know that's not the case for everyone. But I got really lucky with people who saw through my bullshit and saw that it was a deeper issue. Um, And I would argue that anyone who struggles with infidelity, it's not about the person they cheat on you with. It's about their own self-worth. And I was at a place where I had never had a sense of who I was and what that meant to me. And so I had luckily accepted a job where the boss was a Christian and we did Bible study at work and I we had joined a church where I felt comfortable telling everyone my shortcomings and... um 
Caleb and I sat down and made a list and he didn't commit to staying with me, but he committed to holding me accountable to the action items that were on that list. And I don't really remember all of them at this point. I'm sure I have them written down somewhere, but I don't really care. We wrote it on the iPad. I probably have violated all of them at this point, but, um, no, not all of them. Cause I can still see your location anytime I want to. Oh yeah. He turned on all of my location services and I gave him all my passwords to everything. So that was the first like big step because I had never, we're not like the kind of couple who ever looked at each other's phones. So now Caleb can see whatever I do all the time. Um, yeah. And a lot of it was re- finding mentorship and going back to therapy. Um, but it really was the turning point that I needed in my life in general because I had never been a real person up to that point. And that was my deeper issue of not really having an identity because I had just shifted it based on who I was around. And even if I was around other people, I always had a side identity where it was all the things that made me feel good but weren't necessarily good for me. And so I got rid of that. And that was really hard for me. I don't know if you listened to the episode with Valerie, but um, we talked a little bit about addiction. And I am a firm believer that I – I don't know if this is a real classification, but that I'm an attention addict because the things that I'm drawn to when I'm at my lowest are reaching out to others to fill my cup in a way that's unhealthy or – when I feel like I'm spiraling out of control, that's what I'm drawn to. Um, obviously attention from men specifically, but so that had to be something that could be policed by the people around me who loved me. So sharing my passwords and, um, and being held accountable for those things because I did in the beginning fail because I felt like I needed more closure with that relationship and it was a really bad situation and i was harassed for a while afterward um but Caleb and my mom were very stern with me about cutting it off cold turkey because it was the only way to do things and it was and i went to therapy and we talked through all of those urges and those things with my therapist and then i don't know really when I don't think you ever gave me a verbal commitment that we were going to stay together, but it just kind of was implied. Yeah. He just didn't go anywhere. We started hugging more. Um, I do remember one of the things being, I think it's kind of funny. It ended up this way, but like I do remember telling you like one of the things was you needed to find a hobby or something that you were doing other than just like going to work and then like coming home and like, that was it. Yeah. Because at the time it really seemed like you were only, all you had was your work to be proud of. Yeah. And it was kind of, yeah, it was not great. But Yeah. And at the time I wasn't, necessarily doing any photography stuff other than second shooting with Paige. 
So I've always been bad at hobbies. That's a thing too because I don't like doing things unless I'm making money doing them. But um, so we go through a season of about three months where I'm doing a ton of deep digging in therapy, but then God is really just like speaking to me hard about identity issues. First of all, in church, we did a series on our identity in Christ. And then my boss at work gives me this book of like who God says I am. And I just like really dig into finding out who I am in Christ because I've been redeemed. And I lived my whole life going to church, but being feeling guilty all the time. I was never enough or I was too loud or I wasn't what they wanted me to be. And the church does that to people. Hardcore. We have experienced it even as a couple. Rejection from people who are in power at the ch- in the church. And so I felt like for the first time ever, I let God tell me who I was. And it was completely different than what the church had been teaching me my whole life. I just want to say this, this just popped in my head. Like there are, I don't men, if you are in the church and you're like about to get married and somebody tells you that like you're, you're soon to be wife or whatever, like talks too much or like you should get a handle on that. Or, you know, like doesn't really seem like you lead the relationship here, blah, blah, blah. Like get out of that church as fast as you can. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know how else to say it. I don't really have, I don't feel like I need sugarcoat or whatever because it's not. Yeah. That wasn't the first time I experienced that with you. Not like to me, but like I'd seen it in many, in many churches. Yeah. And we like, we ended up, Caleb has always been on staff at the churches that he's been to. Well, well, he should have been at least. And I am just amazed by how people who you grew up with your entire life don't have the balls to talk to you personally and tell your husband that you need to be fixed. That's the situation that we were in. Mm -hmm. So our already struggling marriage that they had committed to working on with us, this is before all of this happened. They manipulated my husband into believing I was the reason that he wasn't good enough and drove a wedge between us because of that. And my poor sweet husband came home and was like, you need to apologize. And I said, I'm not fucking apologizing. We can have a conversation. And then I never went to that church ever again. Yeah. And I quit pretty soon after. Yeah. But we found a great church with great people who have supported us through this this madness in our life. So and not just like supported us, but in, it wasn't just like, yeah, I don't know. It, it wasn't just like a supporting through. What am I trying to say? It wasn't passive. It wasn't passive, but it also wasn't like a. Yeah. I don't know. It was just really different and really good. Yeah. I'm sorry about not being able to finish that train of thought. That's okay. Um, I like whenever you contribute. I tried to bully Caleb into doing this whole episode with me, but this is what I'm going to get. And he's doing a great job. I, I, no, that's, 
that's not the truth in any of this at all. <laughs> you gave me no parameters on this and said, I want you to be on the show with me so I don't talk to myself. And I said, yes, the first time. Yeah. I wanted to do an episode where we talked about our marriage, but here we are talking about our marriage. So <laughs> jokes on you, sir. Um. Anyway. <laughs> so God is consistently telling me, I made you loud. I made you bold. I made you to have a voice. And at this point, I'm like, literally have no social media. I'm just like trying to get by every day and just like laughing at the thought of ever being anything to anyone. I'm at this point where I feel like the scum of the earth and I deserve to feel that way. It's not like in those situations where people tell lies about you and you have no reason to feel feel bad about yourself. I had done some shit things to everyone in my life and God was like, I'm going to make you bigger and greater and I'm going to show you that I love you and the way that I made you. And I was like, hey. what? So that went digging deeper into I made you creative. I made you driven. I made you like all of these things that I'd hated about myself for so long. The creativity that I thought my parents didn't love me because I was creative instead of athletic. The loudness that I thought I didn't have any friends because I was too obnoxious. The 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 willingness to share things that other people were not willing to share, which I thought was the reason that like it was a skill that I learned in order to be able to lie. And God showed me that he was going to use that for good. And I, I still am speechless when I think about all of the ways that the shitty things I've done in my life have added up to where I am now. And I'm not saying my life is perfect, but let me fucking tell you, there is a reason for everything that happens in your life. And <laughs> I mean, it. it is. I don't know. There's bits and pieces of your life that I feel like line up with Daniel. Yeah. And God used Daniel to bring Jesus here, right? And save the whole world. Are you talking about Daniel or David? David. Yeah. I'm, I'm a David. I'm a David. <laughs> That's what I meant. Um, Words are hard. But I mean, that, that that guy, like, he saw some lady taking a bath on her roof and was just like, I, I want Let's that. murder her husband. That's mine. No, 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 no. I want that. And then she got pregnant and was like, oh, now I need to murder her husband. I think it went the other way around, but. No, he. She got pregnant. He called the dude home from war to try to get him to have sex with his wife. Oh. So that it would seem like she got pregnant while he was home and he was like, no, I can't do that while my men are out in battle. Oh yeah, because he can't be he can't be soiling himself. Right. So then David said, "Oh, okay, cool. Here's a promotion and put him on the front line." I'm such a good Christian. I do read the Bible occasionally, well, aka every I'm just night. Just saying, I was saying Daniel. So yeah, well, <laughs> fuck us, right? Uh, so but all of that, and then he's like a chapter later, God calls him a man after His own heart. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> huh? I 
can't even tell you, first of all, how much I believe that true change is possible within people because I've seen it in myself. And there are a lot of people who will never believe that I've changed. And that's okay because I've hurt a lot of people. But if I can encourage anyone who's living a life like I was living, there are people out there who will still love you. And it is unreal now to think about all of the balls I had to keep in the air when I was living like that. I Just the thought of keeping a lie is exhausting at this point. And especially now that I'm growing an audience and I'm building this business and I'm sharing these things, none of that could have happened if, first of all, I hadn't fucked up in my life because I can relate to others in a way that a lot of people can't. I've experimented with things that the average Christian would stone me for. Or would never openly admit to. Yeah, which it's still really hard for me. would probably still stone you for it, even if they'd done the same thing. Which a lot of them have. Um, <laughs> I'm not trying to call anybody out. or just It's the truth. It just is, is what it is. Um, I've lost my train of thought. Oh, it's led me to be more understanding, but also getting caught in all of the shit that I've done allowed me to live a life where I can openly share in the way that I used to when I was lying without the aspect of lying. And it's probably got to be easier because now you can be open without trying to keep something straight. Yeah. I don't have to keep it all straight in my head. And especially in today's society, I mean, it's so easy to have something from your past brought up like it's your present. And I really think... And this isn't a way of manipulating things. I really believe that if you share your failures so that others can learn from them, they no longer can have power over you. And I know that the things I've done are going to pop up at points in my life. I know that there are people who are going to use the way I lived my life to prove that I'm not a good person or that I don't deserve your business, or that I shouldn't be speaking on a public platform, or just that they're better than me, to make them feel better for one day. And I completely understand the tendency to do that, because a lot of people do those things to make themselves feel better about themselves. But what power does it have when I'm willing to admit my faults? I still struggle with attention, not nearly to the point that I used to, but I still thrive on the likes and the everything. But this business wouldn't be possible if I was still the same person with the same motivations that I had in the past. And so... Right, but I also think it's it's interesting because you've got to walk. It is like it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Yeah, because it makes you good at being an influencer. It makes you good at running the type of business that you run, but it also leads you to it can lead you down the path that you'd taken before of all this attention and liking that attention. Yeah, made you seek the wrong things. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about the career change. That was something that someone asked. Um, so I was in this job 
that supported me very much spiritually, but emotionally, um, not so much. But I did meet a wonderful woman named Peg who had been a blogger in her past life and she was hired on as a salesperson. She invited me to an influencer event, which I used to make fun of influencers all the time because I thought they were fake as fuck and I was not interested in hanging out with a bunch of people who were into the way they looked. Because if you've ever met me, I don't give one shit about what I look like. I mean, I do, but I don't have the energy to sit there and actually do my hair. Is my hair sticking straight up? <laughs> Exhibit A. So I never thought girls like that would want to hang out with me because I'd been to middle school and I was not <laughs> interested in doing that again. So I went because Peg and I and Joelle, who I also worked with at the time, were going to hang out and it was going to be fun. I went and I had the time of my life. I met a bunch of people. It was so fun. I brought my camera, which at that point I wasn't really using my camera other than to second shoot for a friend for weddings. I think you'd kind of started like. No, at this point I did not want it to be a business. No. Or just doing family photos and stuff. Well, you were doing family. Weren't you bringing it to like restaurants and stuff too? Just to like. No, not at that point. No. Must have been soon after, yeah. Anyway, so I brought my camera because it made me feel more comfortable if I could take pictures while I was there. And I took a bunch of pictures. I, like, sent them to the organizer who was Liz of the Lemon Bowl. If you don't already know about her, she's got a great podcast that I've already plugged a couple times. Friend of the show, Liz. Shout out to her. So I loved it. And we get home. Is this the one that I went to? We get home and Caleb starts crying and says, I don't want my life to be like this. And I said, why would you ever think our life was going to be like this? It was one night. You don't have to go ever again. I don't think there are any more of these events. <laughs> I wish I was exaggerating, but that was our conversation. Oh, yeah. No, it, it totally was. And I, yeah. He fucking hated it. <laughs> And I was like, I had the best context to it than just, I hated being at the event, but it was hot. He was sweaty. He was hungry. And there wasn't, it didn't live up to the expectations that we had for it. Whatever. I had a great time. So (laughs) I'm like, okay, that was fun. Whatever. So then they host another event and Peg can't go. So I straight up go by myself. Because that's the kind of person you are. Because. I liked the first one so much that I was like, I'm going to bring my camera this time. And this time I'm really going to take pictures. Like I'm going to go above and beyond and like photograph people and send them to the people afterwards. And it's going to be great and it'll be fun. And it was, it was like everyone was welcoming and everyone was excited to see me there. And it was, I took pictures of all these different strangers that are now some of my closest friends and sent them to Liz afterwards and she used them for things. And I sent them to all the influencers who were there and they used them for things. And it was just a really good feeling of like, okay, I could be a part of this community. And they don't feel like middle school friends. They feel like real people who also want to make more friends. So I did that. And then I realized that maybe I should just start bringing my camera places and posting So I did. And at this point, I didn't have my own social media. I just had my 
photography page because after I had cheated, I had been harassed by people for a while on social media and the internet to the point where I almost got a restraining order, like that bad. And so we were finally in a place where I felt healthy spiritually. I had established who I was. I wasn't doing this because I wanted the attention. I was doing it because I was building relationships. And so we went to social house one night and I just laughed and said, you know, the only thing I really want from this is I want one person to give me a free meal. (laughs) Like I just want to take pictures for a restaurant and get one free meal. So we did that. And then I met CJ and she introduced me to some people and I kept going to influencer events and I started just cold messaging businesses on Instagram and offering to take free photos or offering to do a really discounted rate or do trade. And because I had a full-time job at the time, I would go to my full-time job during the day and then schedule to go after work and take pictures of people for free until... People started offering me money and eventually I got so busy between shooting for influencers and shooting for restaurants and shooting for businesses that I didn't have time to do my full-time job anymore and it really wasn't serving me anymore. Um, So we, I decided to quit and so I saved up enough for two months of expenses and worked my ass off for a couple months and then quit my job and worked for about two months and then the pandemic happened <laughs> and continued to work and continued to work and now I'm here. It's a year and a half ago. Yeah. Now I'm here living life and honestly, if you would have told me I was going to be a photographer two years ago, I would have laughed right in your face because I did not want to do that. That was not my goal. That was not... But God made it very clear and provided every opportunity along the way and continues to do so. And because I feel like my motivation is in the right place, my motivation is to help people and to make others feel good and to spread good ideas and positivity and honesty about life. People were drawn to that and here we are. So yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say about that. I now do photography and this podcast and whatever the frick I feel like doing. And it's all because I got, you finally got real, got right, right with the Lord. And establish my identity in something that was stronger than me as an individual. Mm-hmm. And I'm still on depression medication, going strong. I'm sorry, jealous. I told you to make a doctor's appointment. Yeah, I need to do that. Listen, let me tell you, even if you live in my household, sometimes dealing with your mental health is hard. Maybe someday I'll get Caleb to ad- agree to an interview, but... He's still in progress right now. Oh, we just need to do the thing where I like get to read the questions beforehand. I don't do that in case anyone's wondering. I don't write questions. That's not how we roll here on this podcast. So um, the 
only other question that was like a serious question that fits the dialogue of these things. I mean, someone asked me what my favorite movie is. It's Coraline. Someone else asked me what my favorite band is, and I don't have one. So Strange Nights music. Duh. Uh, oh, and Willie the Kid. Sorry, but Strange Nights first because we're married. Is that the only reason? No, but a little. Rap is more my style. Um, they asked what advice I would give to my younger self. And I teared up when I read the question because good gourd. Woof. As I noted, all of this begins in my childhood. If I could, God, if I could give myself 20 years ago a vision of not even just how great my life would be, but how valued I was as an individual. The whole entire time. Yeah. I think I would have had more meaningful relationships sooner in my life. Because the whole time there were people there who cared about me. The whole time I felt like I didn't have any friends. I had people who wanted to be my friend. But I had no self-esteem. I had people who wanted to wife me up. And I had no self-esteem. I had employers who believed in me and I had no self-esteem I had a God who had a mission for my life and no vision of that so if I could give tiny little baby me who was never very tiny advice I would probably just show them what my life is like now and not that it's perfect we still fuck up I mean our marriage has gone through some real shit in the past two weeks it's been at least a month now but no that was two weeks ago anyways we can talk about that some other time um but I at least even in our arguments have a firm foundation and know who I am and can remain calm in those situations because I know that God always provides and always has and always will. And that's the theme of my life is even when I didn't know the purpose of what I was going through, there was a reason. And God, if I could just tell younger me to just be silly and hold on a little bit longer, I think I would have enjoyed life a lot more. But honestly, looking back, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change the way I acted. I wouldn't change who I am or what I did or. Well, I mean, I don't think the result would be. I don't think you could be where you are now without what happened. Yeah. So. Let me just tell you that even in the midst of a not perfect life, it gets better. Well, yeah, that word there kind of. Shouldn't be in the sentence perfect. Yeah. It just. And. As harsh as it sounds in a world where you're supposed to apologize for everything you've ever done. Yes, I'm sorry to the people I've hurt in the past. But I don't regret 
the things I've done in my life. And I think that's a very healthy vision to have because I wouldn't be here if I hadn't have screwed up all the ways I've screwed up. And there's a lot more mixed in there that are smaller or not as life-changing that I didn't even address. But I think it's important to understand where someone is coming from before you act like you know everything about their story. So, younger me, let yourself be goofy and not don't give a fuck what anybody else thinks. Maybe find a favorite band. I don't know. <laughs> how's that? How's that iPhone cable? I'm fidgeting. So, I don't know if this was depressing or uplifting or whatever. I don't know if this was depressing or uplifting or whatever. I hope you got something out of it. If you don't want to be my friend anymore, I guess that's okay, but it will hurt my feelings a little bit. Are you talking to me? You no, know, you have to be my friend, legally. Hmm. So. Hmm. Now's where you say, I don't mind, I like you. Oh, Okay. So, especially for this episode, if you have any questions. Oh, I don't mind. I like you. Are you fucking kidding me? As you can tell, he's the problem child in the marriage nowadays. Anyways, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me at Samantha Ruth Photos. Um, I am more than willing to share any of the dirty details or come alongside you if you're in a similar situation in your life. Caleb is also always willing to join me in that. And especially if you are not a female, I will not be doing that alone. So um, for various reasons that we've discussed in this podcast. See the last hour. <laughs> um, so yeah, my goal is to just have you guys be encouraged by this. And I would love to talk more about it. If you have questions, if you would like to like, comment, subscribe, whatever you're supposed to do on these things. Oh, yeah. Apparently, everybody's changing, like, Spotify, Apple. They all changed it from subscribe to follow now. Okay, well. So, follow us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. Yeah. And follow me on Instagram because I'm this, I try to be this real on the regular. Probably not telling you about my deep, dark secrets that I've never told anyone, but here we are. Sorry, Mom. That's the end of the episode.